Well, we begin a series this morning called The Art of Being Human. And I would like us to go right back to the very beginning of our human origins to see what God says about the art of being human. So I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. This is from the message paraphrase. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, the earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. So God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. Then God blessed them by saying, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. And then I'm going to add my own paraphrase to Eugene Peterson's. God said, go to work. Now, I'm going to be sharing and quoting and adapting a lot from what pastor and author John Mark Comer has to say about the art of being human in a book that I highly recommend called Garden City. In fact, I like that book so much that after I read it, I went out and bought four copies of it and gave, gave one of them to each of my four Chicagoland grandchildren. Uh, the, the two younger in Seattle, they can't read yet. Someday I'll get it for them. But I was impressed with this book. It's called Garden City. And my young, my, I'm going to be discussing it with my four grandkids. I believe it's that important. So, what is the art of being human? Well, we just listened to what God said. And this is, God said he made us in his image to reflect his likeness. And then he said, in essence, go to work. He put man to work. He put Eve to work. He put him in the garden and said, work that garden. And then take what you're doing in the garden and spread it to the rest of the earth. So what we do is central to our humanness. What's the first question? We usually ask somebody after we get past all those awkward first few moments of small talk about the weather. We always get around to saying, well, hey, what do you do? Another way to phrase that question, make it more thoughtful, is what are you giving your life to? I did some research the other day, which a lot of times now means I Googled something, (laughs) okay? So... So I googled this bit of information. I didn't spend hours and hours in research on this. Uh, But it's nice to say, hey, I researched this the other day. Okay. Google's a good thing. But I found out that every 24 hours, we humans breathe about 540 liters of oxygen. Now, say you sleep eight of those 24. That means we're awake 16 hours. What God is saying here about the art of being human is this, that what you do with those 360 liters of oxygen that you breathe during those 16 awake hours has everything to do whether whether or not you will flourish and blossom in the art of being human. Now, you might be saying out there, well, it's 
It's who you are that matters. It's not what you do. Well, it is true that we should never form our identity around what we do, our job, our profession, because we're more th- we are more than that. If you're a photographer, a designer, a carpenter, a homemaker, whatever, you are more than that job. But it's also true that what we do, and maybe even more so, how we go about doing what we do, flows from who we are. So we cannot separate who we are from what we do. And the vast majority of our hours are spent in what we call work. Now, I want to expand the definition of work because it's not just our job or our career. Work is more than what we get paid to do. Work also includes cooking dinner and running errands and uh, getting the groceries and mowing the lawn and and getting exercise. It also includes our hobbies. It includes our side interests. It includes all of the activity, the doing, the going, the coming of everyday life in those 16 hours. Now, working is by far the largest slice in the pie chart of life. Now, there's a strong second, however, and that's resting. Resting is the second largest slice of the pie chart. Now, let me define resting for a moment. Uh, it's not only the seventh day, the Sabbath day, that certainly include, is included, but it's also the hours we spend sleeping every day, the naps, the, the time off, the day off, the time on the couch reading a good book or watching the Bears uh, beat Green Bay, or uh, lunch with friends, or vacation. <laughs> time in, it's, it's the time in the week when we hit the pause button. Now, what we see in Genesis, the fir- very first chapter of Genesis, we see a rhythm. What do we see God doing? We see God working. It says he worked six days, or six stages, or in six eras of time. However you want to look at those early chapters of Genesis to create this planet. He worked. But what did he do after that? On the seventh day, he rested. So there's a rhythm in God. He worked and he rested. And on that day of rest, what did he do? He stepped back and he enjoyed all that he had made, the fruit of his labors. He enjoyed it. But he took a step back from the labor to get renewed, okay? We're made in God's image. Then... I think that's saying that a big part of your life and mine is reflecting that same rhythm of being engaged in work, in productivity, and then stepping back and resting and hitting the pause button once in a while. Now, here's something I want us to think about right now. In the church, we very often spend the majority of our time teaching people how to live the minority of their lives. Now, what I mean by that is this. At church, we emphasize things like the importance of getting into the Scriptures on a daily basis. Spend time with God. Get into the Scriptures. Pray. And sometimes we we would say, sometimes we view that as, well, that's the spiritual stuff of my life. Getting into the Word, praying, praying getting into church, all these kinds of things, reading devotional books, 
All those kinds of things. That's the spiritual stuff. And you know what? I'm never going to minimize those as impro- Those are key priorities. Our lives will fail if those are not, play- if those are not in place in our lives. So I'm not, I'm not minimizing the importance of those priorities. But how many hours a day do you spend reading the scriptures and in prayer? Well, let's say one hour, okay? If it's one hour, it's still only one twenty-fourth of the entire day we have. So I want to I break down the day for us into a pie chart. And the pie chart should show up on the screen, I think, if we're working out okay up there today. All right. Uh, most of us sleep about eight hours a day. And then we go up, get up and go to work for another eight or more hours per day. Now, if you factor in an hour for the commute, maybe throw in some time for gas and to get a cup of coffee, and then say we give two hours for meals and an hour for exercise, then if you add all that up in the way I broke it down, we have eight hours for sleep, we have 12 hours for all that work and activities surrounding work in the day. That only leaves four hours of our day. Now, it's within those four hours that we do what we sometimes call, I alluded to a moment ago, the spiritual stuff. We're going to spend one of those four hours with God in his word, in prayer. We might be reading a good devotional book. That might add another hour to it. We also got to spend time with our families and and our kids and, and all those kinds of things. One of the evenings of that week, we're going to be involved in our ministry Another evening of that week, we're going to be plugged into our small group. Four hours. High priorities. And I'm not not minimizing those at all. But here's the point I am getting at. In the church, we not only need to talk about what we call the spiritual stuff. We We need to be talking about all of life. What it means to be a follower of Jesus at church at the job, at school, in the gym, at the coffee shop, on our day off, when shopping or at the movies, out on a date, all the time. And this means we have to talk about work because it takes up most of our time. And very often, there is a massive disconnect between what we call, in quotes, our spiritual life And then everything else in our life. It's almost like if we could just get rid of all those hours we have to spend at work, then we could get really get down to living and doing the really spiritual things. But you know what? From all from the book of Genesis forward, following Jesus, living for God is not about retreating from or detaching ourselves from our work. Or from the world. In fact, it's the opposite. In Genesis, God, God put Adam in the, in the garden. He said, now you get out there and you go to work there, Adam. You get out there and do a job. Go to work. It's about engaging the world. And it's about seeing our work as also spiritual. Also as ministry. Also as worship to God. 
The greatest example of this is Jesus Christ himself. God in the person of Jesus Christ came into our world to show us the art of a flourishing human life. No one ever showed that better than Jesus. So how did Jesus live his life? Well, for 18 years from age 12 up to age 30, he was in construction. He worked eight or 10 hours a day measuring lumber, sawing it in two, nailing it into tables and chairs and benches and whatever else he made. He had blisters on his hand that turned to calluses. He had sawdust in his hair, and he sweat just like all of us sweat. All the while, being the most spiritual and most fully human person who ever walked the face of the earth, he took on our humanity to show us what the art of humanity is. Then, those last three years of his life, he became the rabbi, the teacher, in his messianic ministry. Let me ask you this question. Was Jesus more spiritual in his last three years than he was in the first 30? Absolutely not. He did God's will in both. He had a shift in vocation for those last three years. But he was God, clothed in humanity all 33 years. And he showed us how to live a fully human life. So Jesus lived a seamless, integrated life where this split between what we call the sacred or the spiritual and the secular or the worldly, that split did not exist in Jesus' life. He lived all of his life in full immersion in what he called the kingdom of God. And this is the kind of life he calls you and I to live. But this will never happen unless we come to understand that our work and our rest, as well as our time getting into this Word of God and praying and spending time with Him and being in our small groups and being right here in this worship service, it's all spiritual. It's all worship. It's all what we do, lifting it up in praise and, and, and worship to God. So the core question in our series is this. What does it mean to be human? We can ask that two or three other ways. Why do we exist on this planet? What are we here for? What is our meaning and what is our purpose? Well, I read it from the message translation a moment ago. Let me read it from the NIV right now. Genesis 1.26. God says, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our own likeness, so that they may rule. Our purpose is to rule the earth. Now, the idea in that word rule is very much like the idea in our word work. It means to take leadership. It means to, to take responsibility. It means to, to go out and manage it means to work with the raw materials and resources that God has in placed on this great earth that he created. It means to go out and accomplish a task and to do it motivated by God and to do it for the glory of God. No matter what that task, what part of that raw material, 
we happen to be working with. Now, our culture has turned this around and got it backwards. Our culture would say, very often anyway, that we work to live. That means we put in as little amount of time as possible to make as much as we can so we can get off work and do something else. Work is a necessary evil that we need to tolerate in order to do the other stuff. You know, really, that's a very unbiblical way to live. But because in Genesis, God reverses that vision of humanness. And this is what he says, basically. We don't work to live. We live to work. By work, we mean make something of God's world. Now, actually, next week, what we're going to see, what that includes is being partners with God in creating and spreading the culture of Eden into the rest of this broken, broken world. So, work is central to being human. And I think that's why unemployment and illness and sometimes even retirement unless we get involved in other profitable, other profitable, productive things, can really set a person into great depression and into a tremendous loss of self-worth. And you know, there can be jobs that we do that are less than ideal, <laughs> okay? Uh, one of the jobs I had when I was working my way through college was making hula hoops. And I told you guys this before. Some of you have heard that story. That one summer for three months, um, from eight till four every day, uh, the plastic, plastic plant in Titusville, Pennsylvania, decided to make hula hoops. So this would have been back in about 1968 when they were trying to, when, when the Whammo Corporation was trying to revive the whole hula hoop craze from the 50s. And so what I did... Uh, my job there that, at, at, in that assembly line was I took three BBs and my job was to drop them into the one end of the tube and there was another person standing on the other end of the tube and there was a little dowel rod in there of wood and so when I got the, the uh, BBs in there, he and I would walk toward each other, we would jam it together and then hand it over to the, to the uh, stapler and then from the stapler it would go to the labeler and then it would go into the boxes. So. I did that eight hours a day. And we did get a 10-minute break at 10 and another one at like 2 or something like that and 30-minute lunch. Now, uh, I would say that was a less-than-ideal job. And when I was... Actually, when I was thinking about saying what I'm saying to you guys here this morning, that job came into my mind. <laughs> okay. So I don't want you to think I'm talking from some ivory tower up here that has no bearing on reality and the realities of the work world. And the fact, and we're going to get into this next week, you know, we live in a broken world right now where it's tough to go out there and tough to put those 40, 50, 60 hours in per week. So I'm not trying to talk about some little flowery ideal up here that has no bearing on reality. But all I am trying to do is get us to, to take a fresh look at the Scripture. And it does say that God put Adam in the garden, and he said, Adam, okay, Adam, go to work. 
And how many hours a day did Adam spend working? I'll bet he spent eight, ten hours a day working in that garden, tilling it, taking care of it. And then the scripture says, in the evening of the day, in the, in the, uh, in the cool of the evening, what did he do? He spent time with God. But he worshiped God in the evening, but he worshiped God every second he was out there working in that garden too. He did it as worship. He did it as, as his ministry to God because it's the ministry that God gave him. And I think we need to start looking at not just what we do in church as the ministry God's given us. We need to see all of our life as ministry to the Lord and worship to him. Because in all of our life, we are positioned by God and by the Holy Spirit in a place of influence where we shine like lights in this dark and messed up world. And the people that I worked with when we were making hula hoops, God put me there because during that summer, I had an opportunity to minister in the Titusville plastics plant. God didn't want Jim Nichols just to be a pastor that sits up and talks on Sunday mornings. But he put me out in a place where I had to be like a pastor, an influencer for Christ, a shepherd in a plastics plant. And I don't know what plant he's put you in or what your task is or where you spend your 40, 50, 60 hours a week. But I do know this, by the authority of the word of God, that God has sent you there right now to be an influence for him and to take that on as a huge part of your ministry and of your act of worship up to him, to do it for his glory. And I think that elevates that Christian, Christianity elevates the view of our work. It doesn't diminish the view of our work and say, well, hey, retreat from the world, go find something spiritual to do. Well, hey, all of life is spiritual. All of it. There's not an ounce of it that isn't. Moses stood on holy ground in God's presence at the burning bush. I think the lesson of the, of, of the burning bush was not that, hey, Moses, for these few moments, you're standing on holy ground. I think the lesson of the burning bush is every square inch of this planet is God's. Every square inch of this planet is holy ground. We just don't recognize it part of the time. So the plastic plant for me, that was holy ground for Jim Nichols because I'm one of his sons, and I'm there to do his work in that place and to shine out in, his, in the darkness. So everywhere you go, tomorrow morning when you go to work, you're on holy ground because you're a son or a daughter of the living God. He wants to shine through you there. So, now, this is what Paul says in Colossians 3.23. He's he's sort of picking up on what God said in Genesis. He's saying, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As to the Lord, working for the Lord, not for your human master, not for the boss. You're doing it for him. And that means we're going to really do a good job, the very best job we can do. Uh, Person that works in fast food is probably making minimum wage, I'd imagine. And that can be a struggle. But there's a fast food place in town that uh, one of the persons that works there has the early morning shift. 
<clears throat> and so I'll go in there and just pull in and grab a cup of coffee or something like that. And um, early morning, 6 a.m., whatever it is. Now, I happen to know this person that's the cashier there. And uh, I've met her once at a function in town, probably a year ago, maybe longer. And I know she's a Christian who belongs to one of the other churches in town. Uh, And so she's the lady in there. And uh, I drive through there, and you know what? Every single time, she is pleasant. Uh, I hear her voice, first of all, on the, you know, the machine or the, you know, the intercom, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, hey, how you, how you doing this morning? Uh, hey, I'll take a, uh, you know, a senior's coffee. <laughs> so, and uh, 72 cents, I think. So, anyhow, I drive. <laughs> and then I pull around, and then I see her face to face. And she'll say, hey, you know, how you doing? And she'll say, good to see you today. And then, and then she'll say, uh, hey, have a good day. Now, not every drive-through I've gone through has been like that. <laughs> All I'm saying is this. This is a woman. This is a woman of God who gets it. She gets it. Can't be easy working that job Minimum wage, that cannot be an easy thing to do. But she's doing it not unto the boss, not unto the boss at that store. Uh, she's doing it for him. Let's do everything we do. Let's do it for him. So whatever you are, oh, I wanted to say this. Now, when God says go out and work, he's not calling us to get into workaholism, Okay. That's a whole different story there. He's telling us to follow the rhythm that he created us in his image to follow. Work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. That's God's rhythm, and we're hidden in his image. Um, Now, if we work and work and work and work, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, no space or margin for rest, then what we're actually doing is we are becoming less human and more like a machine. So that's not what we're saying. But whoever you are, a student, a mom, a barista, an engineer, a librarian in the trades, an artist, a grocer, a clerk, a bus driver, a teacher, whatever you are, this series is about working and resting and living a full, flourishing existence. It is about spiritual life invading all of life, and it's about waking up every day to a God-saturated world. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor Jim, that sounds good, but you've left out something. You haven't talked about the sin and the evil that's part of our world, where it really makes it hard to flourish. Evil is destructive. Well, we're only in Genesis chapter 1 today, okay? (laughs) Next week we'll be in chapter 2. How God placed our parents in a garden called Eden, and like I said a moment ago, he said, now you guys, I want you to both go in there and I want you to work that garden. Make it flourish. And then I want you to begin populating the earth with more and more people so that we can build a civilization that flourishes with the culture of Eden. 
being spread out into the world. That was God's desire. The culture of Eden spread throughout the whole earth. But then we get to chapter 3, and the hijacking of all this human flourishing because of sin's entrance into the world. But then we'll see how God did not give up his plan, and he didn't give up valuing and loving us, but he sent his son for our sins to give us forgiveness, a way back to God, so that we could regain this flourishing humanity that God has always intended for all of us to have. Now, you don't have to wait till week three, though, to come to Christ, okay? Because if you're here this morning and you're not satisfied with your life and you're searching for a purpose and for meaning and depth in your life, Jesus invites you to come to him, to ask forgiveness for those sins. Place your faith in him as your savior. His promise is he will wash away your sins and with them the shame and the guilt that are attached. And then he himself will enter into your life to the deepest part, what we call our heart, and he will begin to fill your life with new desires and he'll begin, to, he'll begin the process of leading you toward the art of being human. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your design for humanity. And Lord, we want to live those lives, Lord, that you've called us to live. And we know we can't do that in our own strength. We can do that only by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, thank you that we can just walk anywhere on this planet and know that we are on holy ground and we are doing whatever we're doing at that moment. We're doing it for the glory and praise of God and to extend his kingdom in the darkness of that place. So, Father, give us that holistic vision of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, Father, let your light shine out of our lives. Help us to grasp these truths. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.